Would you turn with me to 2 Timothy 4 as we move through this book, Paul's letter to his young protege, Timothy. And as we have seen the encouragement coming from the Apostle Paul, for Timothy to receive the word, to breathe it in as Pancho just shared with us. Now he gives Timothy a charge, and we're going to look at that charge, the charge that's given by Paul to Timothy. And that starts in chapter 4. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for these men that have hearts after you, Lord. And Lord, truly, we want to serve you. We want to follow you. Lord, we want to be the husbands that you want us to be. We want to be the fathers that you want us to be. We want to be the employees that you want us to be. Lord, that we would be lights in this dark place. Lord, walking circumspectly in these perilous times and Lord, people are wondering what's going on. They're wondering what's going to become of their lives. And Lord, I pray that you would now pour out your spirit on these men, that we might live for you. And Lord, you would live through us in a powerful, dynamic way. Lord, reaching people in this city, in this state. And Lord, we pray that you would now speak to us through your word. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone who agreed said, Amen. Amen. Now, this is Paul's last letter at least that's put in the canon of Scripture. They're kind of his last words, and now we come to the last chapter of Paul's last letter, and it was sent to Timothy. And we always know someone's character, what's really going on inside of them at the end of their life. And there's some of that in this letter to Timothy. There's always someone's last words, you know, if they're on their deathbed. We call them deathbed confessions. They kind of let you know where they're at, what they're about, what they've done, now that they're at the very end of their life. And this letter has that tone in it as he's writing to Timothy. And now he comes to the tail end and he gives this charge. See, he knew that both he and Timothy would stand before the judge, and that's why he says, I charge you. I charge you therefore, and we, whenever there's a therefore, we always want to know what it's there for, and it's for everything we've heard all earlier today, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. See, Paul wanted Timothy to know that we're all going to stand before the judge, that we, our works, our lives will all be judged, and he wanted his life along with Timothy's life to show up as precious gold, not wood, hay, or stubble, but precious jewels, and to live a life recognizing that and living for that and living for the crown. And because Paul was living for the crown, he could confidently pour out his life like we're, like we're going to see in a little while, pour out his life like a drink offering. See, this realization and how we live our life causes us to live life carefully and watchfully. It makes us live our life without compromise, and it helps us live life without the fear of man, because every man will perish, but live our lives in the dimension of a fear of God, an awe of God. You know what a fear of God is? It's simply recognizing each and every day when we roll out of bed, we go to the office, we go out with the fellas, we spend time with our family, we go throughout our day recognizing that God is with us all the time. It's the omnipresence of God. He's always with us. 
And sometimes in psychologically, mentally, we somehow have duped ourselves in thinking, hey, if I can just shut out the reality of the fear of God and awe of God, I'm going to go ahead and do what I want to do here for this hour or these two hours. No, God is right there in the room with us. Even the psalmist cried out, even though I descend to the depths of Hades, Lord, you are there. God is everywhere all the time, and you can't get away from that fact. And we're living our lives each and every day before him. Paul wanted Timothy to know that, to not live a life of compromise, knowing that we're all going to stand before the Lord and not live our lives in the fear of man, but in the fear of God, knowing that we're going to stand before him. And do you know that it's true? When we live our lives fearing man, the Bible says that the fear of man is a snare, it's impossible to please God. Somewhere along the line, something's going to break. And so there's that resolve, there's that charge that I hope our hearts will come to in light of this letter that we've been studying, that we will leave this place taking on that charge, living our life each moment of every day in the fear of the Lord. And we know that it's the fear of the Lord, the Bible says, which is the beginning of wisdom, a constant, consistent, 24-7 respect for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So he gives the charge here in three sections. That's what we're going to look at. First of all, to preach the word, then do the work of an evangelist, and then fulfill your ministry. And that's how we're going to break it up this morning. Verse two, charge number one. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. Now this word preach literally means herald. Paul is saying, Timothy, I want you to wherever you go to herald the word of God. Now, a herald at this time would have been commissioned by a public official, some sort of authority, a leader in the land. And when before newspapers needed to get some news or some orders or even new laws that were to be declared to a community or to a city, he would summon the herald, give him the charge and then send him to the village, and he would stand in the center of town, probably standing on something, and he would herald out the wishes or the message from the king or the message from the governor. Now, the audience didn't always want to hear what the herald had to bring, but they weren't his words. They were They were the governor's words. They were his authority's words. His job was simply to dispense the message, and to declare it, to not leave anything out and not to add anything, nothing more, nothing less. And do you know that that's what we are called to do, to preach the world, to stand up in our society, in our our community, and even appropriately at our workplace and say, this is what God thinks. This is what God says, and not adding to that and not taking away from that, and that's the charge given to Timothy. This herald was simply a delegate of an authority. And if people got mad at him and threw things at him, he he could simply say, these aren't my words. These are, I'm just coming as a herald to declare these words. Don't take it personally, guys. When you are sharing the love of Christ, when you are sharing in its totality the gospel of Jesus Christ, that all men have sinned, all men have fallen short of the glory of God, and there's no other way, no other solution but Jesus Christ. That's the only answer for the world today. And you stick by it, and people don't like it. But you know what? 
That's not your opinion. That's the word of God. And the Bible says that it's the gospel and only the gospel that can change a man's life. That's why Paul said, I am unashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God, the dunamis, the dynamite of God. For all who believe, the gospel is the power. The gospel is the answer. That's the charge. Preach the word. Have you ever felt misjudged? You are simply trying to reach out to someone, love someone, and the best way to love them is with the word of God. The best way to love them is giving them the solution and the prescription. We can be misjudged often. It reminds me of a recent news story that came out of Atlanta, Georgia. And it reads, carjacking foiled. Check this out. An elderly lady did her shopping and upon return found four males in her car. She dropped her shopping bags and drew her handgun, proceeding to scream at them at the top of her voice that she knows how to use it and that she will if required. So get out of the car. The four men didn't wait around for a second invitation, but got out and ran like mad, whereupon the lady proceeded to load her shopping bags into the back of the car and got into the driver's seat. Small problem. Her key wouldn't fit the ignition. Her car was identical and parked four or five spaces further down. She reloaded her bags into her car and drove to the police station. The sergeant that she told the story to nearly tore himself in two with laughter and pointed to the other end of the counter where four pale white males were reporting a carjacking by a mad elderly white woman. No charges were filed. <laughs> Have you ever been misjudged? I can't think of all the times when every cell and motive and agenda in my body was just to see a person set free, see a man set free and be a husband that he was meant to be, to be not in bondage to sin and addictions and so we share the gospel with them only for them to spit in my face, in your face. Don't take it personally. That's why Paul says, Timothy, don't let anyone stop you. And even if they abuse the herald, they're abusing the one they have sent to you, that you have sent, that, they, that has sent you. And we are to be faithful as heralds to preach the word. So Paul says, preach the word. Preach the word. Preach the word. Preach the word. In any given situation, many churches today Many lives today, they want to substitute other things for the word of God. And even in our own lives, we want to substitute opinions or perspectives. And even good things can be bad things when they replace the word of God. I always think of King David and how he had to learn the hard lesson as a man about how the Lord esteems his word and how important it is to stick with the word of God. The Bible says that the Lord even esteems his word above his own name. And we read in 2 Samuel chapter 6, we know that the expansion of Israel is, is, is uh, David's being very prosperous as king. God's blessing him and he wants to bring the ark because he wants the glory of God back in Jerusalem. He puts it on a cart with musicians, 30,000 men. They're parading it through the streets. It falls off, and we know that Uzzah tries to prop that ark back up, and he dies. 
What went wrong? Here, everything in David's heart was sincere. He sincerely wanted God's glory in the city of Jerusalem. But what went wrong? Why is God judging me? Because he wasn't doing it according to the word of God. We know that that ark was taken to Obed-Edom's house. And there for three months, his house was blessed. And for three months, we see that obviously David sought the word of God. And then he got the priests and he transported the ark now according to the word of God, which would be a few steps, set the ark down, build an altar, worship the Lord, pick the ark back up, a few steps, set the altar down. And even though this was a very tedious task and it wasn't very efficient, it was according to the word of God. And David learned a valuable lesson that I want us to learn this, this afternoon. And that is, do you want God to bless your marriage? And bless your families and your parenting. And if you have a business, do you want God to bless your business? It's not always the most efficient way to do everything according to the word of God, but it's the best way. And it's the way of blessing. See, what was in David's heart? He wanted the glory of God in Jerusalem. What is the glory of God? It's the kabod. It's the the weightiness of God, the substance of who God is. That's what... David wanted in his life and in his city, in his community. And that's what we want. We want that in our lives, the very substance of God in our life. But there's no shortcuts to that. And that's why we are not only to receive the word of God, but we're to declare the word of God because it's God's way. And God brings his blessings through it. Be ready in season and out of season. I love that phrase. I love that phrase because... It shows me that there's different seasons in life. Do you know that that's true? Life is not always summer or spring or fall. Sometimes it's winter. And that's okay. That's a part of life. There are different seasons in my life. There's different seasons in my marriage. There's different seasons in uh, my ministry. There's different seasons in every aspect of life. And that's okay. And God has designed it that way because it's in those times like winter where it might be cold and it's not warm and it's not comfortable, it's in those times where the roots of our lives go down deeper in order to uh, seek out the nourishment that it needs or, or in a dry time, maybe you're going through a dry time. Life is full of differing seasons. And that's why Paul says, be ready in season and out of season, in every season of life, to Declare the word of God, to herald the word of God. And he says, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. These are all imperative verbs in the Greek. They're, they're charges saying, this is what you do. You convince or you reprove. You warn or you rebuke or you appeal, which means to exhort. Basically, you afflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted with the word of God. It's like a doctor who points out the issue and is not afraid to do that because he wants you to know what's going on in your body. But along with that, he gives you the prescription or he gives you the remedy. That's how we handle the word of God. And we have friends and we have issues going on in our families and we're to point that out. We're to bring to light what needs healing and what needs help. But don't leave it at that. Share the solution with someone. That's what it means to preach the word of God. To give them the remedy that will help them with long-suffering, which means patience. 
We don't grab people by the neck and shake them around and say, repent now. We're able to just share the word of God with them and pray for them and intercede for them. And with long suffering, we give that person some space in their life to let the Lord convict their heart. Let the Lord take the things that you've spoken to them and then let that be real to them. I think that is so important as a dad. We want our kids to go the right way. It's heavy on our hearts when we see them making choices and decisions. And it is our responsibility as fathers to speak the truth in love, in love, and bring the word of God and, and warn and, and can reprove, rebuke, exhort, encourage. But once we've done that, dads, give our kids some space to work it out. Oftentimes, we will try and cram our children into a mold. Instead of letting the Lord take the words that we've given to them, the word of God is powerful. The word of God is able to cut. The word of God is able to do that necessary surgery in their lives. And I think it's important because you show respect when you give your child some space to work it out. And you pray for them. That's what Paul is telling Timothy. You preach the word. You don't hold back anything. Don't water it down. Don't leave anything out. Don't add anything to it. But once you've given the word, then apply long-suffering and patience to that person that you're sharing with. That's what he's telling Timothy. Preach the word. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things and endure afflictions. Because there's coming times when people will want to simply run to teachers and to messages that simply make them feel good. People want a comfortable message without addressing the core issues in their life. I think of all the counseling appointments that go on in our fellowship week after week, day after day. And it's amazing. We'll have a couple come in and they'll hear something that they didn't want to hear and they'll run to another church or run to another counselor and they'll finally found the God-given counselor when they get what they wanted to hear. And that's a mistake. Are you going through issues, guys, in your marriages? And maybe you're even in counseling right now. Maybe your wife is saying, we need some help. Go to someone who's going to tell you the truth. And as much as it hurts, take it. Let it break your heart and then watch how the Lord will bring beauty out of the ashes in your own life and in your marriage. Don't be one of those statistics that just runs around until they find the message that they want to hear. The word of God sometimes cuts us and injures us, but the word of God injures us for our own good because God is protecting me. I think of a shepherd and the Lord calls himself our shepherd. He's our good shepherd. And there's that stubborn little lamb that wants to run away and he's persistent in that stubbornness and the shepherd will take his rod and he'll break its legs finally and then set the leg and carry that little lamb around. And there's a bond that takes place between this little lamb and the shepherd. And you think, how mean? How could the shepherd break the legs of this lamb? He's simply loving that little lamb. 
because he wants that little lamb to live a long, healthy life and produce lots of nice wool. And sometimes the shepherd, the good shepherd in our life, he breaks us, but he breaks us so that he can heal us. And the antithesis to that is to run around to find teachers and to find messages that make us comfortable or feel good. And so Paul says, rebuke, reproof, encourage, in season, out of season, with patience, long-suffering, because that's what the world needs. And then we read charge number two. He says, do the work of an evangelist. Basically, be about evangelism. Tell people about Jesus and tell the one person about Jesus. Do you know that God cares about the, the one? I think of Luke chapter 15. All those three parables are all focused on one attribute of who God is. You have the woman who's lost the coin. It's speaking about a woman in those days in Middle Eastern times back in Jesus' day would have a drachma, which would have 10 coins on it, and it would be kind of her wedding band. And there's this idea of her losing one of these coins off of her drachma and it fall down in the reeds and the rushes in those floors at that time and she couldn't find it. But it would be a huge disgrace if this woman went out, to, went out into public not having her entire drachma because if a woman was unfaithful, the husband would come and take away some of these coins that were on her drachma. So it's huge disgrace. And so you can see the sense of urgency and passion in this woman looking for the one coin. And you see the parable of the shepherd who has a hundred sheep and one is lost and he leaves the 99 to go find the one. And then finally Jesus shares this story about the father who had two sons and the prodigal son that took everything he had and he squandered it but it was the prodigal son that the father had the passionate love for waiting for him and when he came home he threw the feast for him we know these stories but the point of all these parables are that God cares about the one person that one person that the Lord has put in your office has put next to you the, that one person in your neighborhood God has a passionate love for that person if we had been the only one on this planet Jesus would have come and died for us that's how much God loves the one and he puts such emphasis and such a value on the one individual that's why in that same passage in Luke 15 Jesus goes on to say that when one person repents all the angels in heaven party down. It's a paraphrase. They rock out. They, they rejoice because that's God's economy. He has a passionate love and he puts the emphasis on the one. Sometimes we put the emphasis on the multitudes when God is thinking about the one. The multitudes are great, but it's simply a collection of individuals and it shows us what God is excited about. And Paul is telling Timothy, we have insight into what God's excited about. So be excited about the same thing. Do the work of an evangelist. And then he says, fulfill your ministry. I love this. Fulfill your ministry. So we have preached the word, do the work of an evangelist, then fulfill whose ministry? Your ministry. I love that. Because Paul is telling Timothy, hey, Timmy, you know what? My ministry is going to look a little bit different than your ministry. 
The way I do things is going to be a little bit different than the way you're going to do things. And it's important for you, Timothy, to fulfill your ministry. And let me ask you guys this question this afternoon. What is your ministry? Not someone else's, but your ministry. What has God given you to do? And let me just say, there's only one way for you and I to fulfill our ministry, the ministry, the unique ministry that God has given us. There's only one way to fulfill it. You know what it is? It's one word. Faithfulness. That's it, simply being faithful and being who God has made you to be and following through on what God has given you to do. I can't think of anything worse than trying to be something that I'm not. Or can you think of anything worse for your life of trying to be somebody or do something that is not who you are? The Lord wants to build within us an authentic presentation of who he's made us to be and the, the treasure he's put in us, the word of God, and to display that. And only you can do that. You know, you have giftings and callings that I don't have that they're unique to you as a person in this room. And only you can fulfill your ministry. Only you can reach certain people that I will, I will never be able to reach, but you can reach them. And that's the wonder and the amazement of how God gets his work done. We are co-laborers for Christ. And it's misery trying to be something that you're not. And I know a lot of guys that put on facades and put on masks and try and be something that they're not. And it's not only ineffective, but it's kind of a bummer of a life. I remember when I was in, back in music, we'd play the Tomorrowland stage there at Disneyland. We'd enter through the back and we'd, it's, the stage is on hydraulics and we'd come up, up to the ground level and we'd play our songs, you know, and they'd lower the stage and we'd go off into the back. Well, when you do things at Disneyland, if you're an employee there or you're part of the entertainment, then you enter through the back gate. It's very different than the front gate. The front gates, you know, you park, you know, four, 45 miles away if you're bringing your family you get to the gate, you know, you spend $73,000 and you, to get your family and you walk in through the gates and it says, happiest place on earth. And something magical is supposed to happen to you, huh? You're supposed to be happy now. You know, shut up, kids. This is the happiest place on earth. I want to see happiness. I had the mortgage, second mortgage on the house to bring us here. You better be happy. And you're going through the streets and there's these little Disney characters walking around and it almost, it starts to work. You start to get into the whole zone, but you know what? It's not real. They build everything in facades. You walk down Main Street and they have these little structures with these little windows and you start imagining, oh, I wonder who lives up in these little homes with these little, little elves, little happy elves live up there. And isn't this great? Honey, we're at Disneyland, the happiest place on earth. And you kind of get into it. It rubs off on you but it's not a real world. See, I got to go through the back entrance where there's dumpsters, there's oil cans, there's trash all over the place, there's old trailers, and there's Goofy holding his head, smoking a cigarette, and there's, you know, you see Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, you know, making out over here on the side, and it's just, whoa, this is, now that's the real Disneyland. That's the real Disneyland. And it makes me think of how often in our culture, in our society, we're so apt to put on 
facades and put on masks and try and be someone who we're not meant to be. And that's why Paul is telling Timothy, Timothy, fulfill your ministry. Who has God made you to be? And then follow through on it. Be faithful to it. Isn't that liberating? To know that God has created you uniquely. He's gifted you specially. He's given you a unique calling and you are to fulfill it. And then we get to get together and tell all about all the things that the Lord has been doing through our life. And it'll all be very unique and different. That's how God works it. That's how God gets things done. Fulfill your ministry, Timothy. And how do we do that faithfulness? And it's a hard, you can't evaluate faithfulness. Only God knows whether we're faithful or not. Only God knows what he's given for us to do. And only he is qualified to evaluate our faithfulness. We can't evaluate one another because we don't really know what God has given us to do. Only God can do that. And that's why we are to live our lives for that day when we run into his arms, when we end this life, and we hear those words, good and good and faithful servant. So let me just wrap it up with this question. What has the Lord given you to do? And are you being faithful with it? Are we being faithful with our wives? What has the Lord given us to do? The Bible says we are to wash our wives with the water of the word. The Bible says that we are to love our wives as Christ loved the church. Guys, if you ever wonder how you're supposed to love your wife today when you go home this afternoon, look at the cross. That's heavy. Yeah, but she said this. She did this. It has been going on forever. Love your wives as Christ loved the church. What is that love? It's sacrificial. It's unconditional. He laid down his life for me when I was spitting in his face and running from him and cursing God and doing my own thing. I could have cared less about the Lord when I was unsaved. I wanted to have nothing to do with him. And it was at that very point in my life that Jesus loved me by laying down his life for me. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Nothing else. How do we complicate these issues and complicate our role as husbands? When it's sometimes so simple it's that one command. We follow through on that. And that's what brings about the most healthy of all relationships and marriages. But it's heavy, isn't it? And we're simply to be faithful. The Bible says not to exasperate your children. Not to lay burdens on them so heavy they can't keep them. I think of... Peter, there at the Jerusalem council, he said, why are you laying this heavy trip on these Gentiles? We couldn't even keep these rules. What are we laying on our kids? We're simply to be faithful. No one's asking you today to leave this room and be the perfect Christian man. We're all imperfect. But here's the charge that's given to us. Be faithful. Fulfill your ministry. You know where that ministry starts? First of all, it starts with your relationship with the Lord. That's your number one ministry, is ministering to him in worship, spending time with him. 
all other ministry stems from that ministry. Our second most important ministry down on the list is our wives. Even before our children, before our work, anything else we do, it's our wives. Are we faithful in that ministry? Paul told Timothy, fulfill your ministry. Be faithful to your ministry. That ministry to our wives. Third on the list is our children. Are we faithful to the ministry of our children? Are we faithful? Only we can personally ask it answer that question then are we faithful in the ministry and then are we faithful with our jobs but there's a priority because before anything else you know I'm a follower of Jesus and you're a follower of Jesus we're to follow him and then we turn our attention towards our wives and then to our children and then Lord what do you want me to do and never get that out of order because we'll end up not being faithful in the priority for our life. What has the Lord put in your charge, guys? What is the ministry that the Lord has given you today? And if we could leave this room going, Lord, I want to be faithful. No more, no less. Just faithful. Then, then we see the glory of God manifest. The substance of God. The kabod of God in our marriages, in our homes, in all that we do. And isn't that what we all want in these times that we're living in? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your love for us and your care for us. And Lord, we want to now receive the charge to preach the word, to herald the word. Lord, to have a passion and a love and a concern and to value that one individual, those individuals in our life. And Lord, help us now as men to be faithful to the ministry that you have given to us, to fulfill and be faithful with the ministry to our wives, to our time with you, to our children. Lord, that we truly would hear those words and we'd live for those words. Well done, good and faithful servant. That's all we want to hear. Help us live each and every day just longing for those words, anticipating those words when we see you face to face. Help us, Lord, by your grace and by your power. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.